What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 153 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roll, and this particular episode is going to be an interview with Zach Dillard of Fox Sports South. But before we get to Zach here in a moment, I do want to remind you that we have moved away from SoundCloud as our hosting platform. This was the case on the last episode as well, so if you if you already heard this message, my apologies. But if you were a previously a SoundCloud-only listener, please go ahead and move over to, an, uh, to your podcast platform of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. Spotify, Overcast, pick your podcast player of choice and follow us over there. Please subscribe and do all of that fun stuff. And uh, without further delay, here's my interview with Zach Dillard. Zach, thank you for joining me, sir. How are you? No problem. Good to be back on. Uh, doing well. Back from spring training. So always a, always a fun time down there in Florida. Last time down there in Orlando. So uh, not too many tears shed to leave there, but I guess <laughs> we'll have to see the new place before I... Uh, before I officially celebrate not going down to Tourism Central. Yeah, uh, candidly, I have not made too many trips down there. I think I've been twice. Yeah, I've been to Orlando more than that, but twice for spring training and only as a fan both times. It's been a while. Uh, not really in my scene, frankly, uh, unless you have to go, which you do, and I'm sure you make the most of it and all that fun stuff. I was going to ask you a little bit about that, actually. Anything that's, I mean, obviously people have been following on social media and all the common Spring training, spring training arrival stories and the let's get ready to play some baseball stories. But anything jump, jump out to you while you were down there? You were there for a little while, uh, long enough to see a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that I'm sure you probably can't share. But anything you want to f- open up and jump out to you and uh, share with the uh, the old listenership here? Well, I think it's uh, genuinely think it's very fascinating to watch. You know, the, not not the guys that we see at the major league level already, but you see the guys and they come in and just the strides that so many of them have made um, William Contreras and I know he homered again today. Um, it just looked fantastic. I saw him take BP uh, and everything when they had the futures game at Sutras park and it was almost night and day from watching him. Then I guess the, uh, around this time last year to this year, he's just taken such strides. Uh, Joey Wentz and Kyle Muller just completely turned heads. Um, and I know pitchers are ahead of hitters at the moment, but uh, right in front of Kevin Seitzer, Brian Snitker, uh, I think Bobby Cox was sitting there watching in the golf cart. Walt Weiss was there. And Winston and Muller go against uh, a group of Ronald Acuna Jr., Austin Riley, Grayson Janista. Uh, I think Adam Duvall was in the group and just blew him away. Uh, Riley, I think, connected on a Muller for, on, for like a home run. But other than that, they were just untouchable. And uh, just seeing some of the, you know, some of the strides that the guys have made and kind of knowing that their stories and their background of, uh, you know, some of the struggles they've gone through or whatever. And uh, you get to spring training and you see kind of uh, the fruits of their labor, if you will. It was, it was interesting from that perspective, but everything else is the same. I think uh, a lot of times people don't understand spring training is just a bunch of waiting around. It, <laughs> like guys are at, you know, you're trying to grab a guy at his locker. You want to go and, you know, get an interview with him or you want to, you know, see what he's up to. And he's like, I have, to go pitch a bullpen or I have sides or I have bunting drills or something like that. So a lot of times it's just a bunch of the media members waiting around and trying to act busy when we're really not. Yeah. Spending time with, with, with each other. I'm sure a lot, a lot of uh, hanging out with Gabe and DOB and Mark and all those guys, I'm sure. So um, tales from the road. Now and it's one of those things where that's probably some of the reason why I don't just love going down there. Cause I'm not someone who handles that kind of thing well. Uh, I kind of need to be doing something for the most part. And I know, I mean, it's probably better when it's a little bit warmer. Has it been okay weather-wise? Because if it's not warm and you have to just be there and, like, 
bored and looking around. I know you'll be inside sometimes, but it just doesn't seem all that much fun. I guess it's no, just... It, no, it's fine. Like, it, it's really not... It's not a bad time. I, I look forward to spring. Uh, this year, as your, like, local weather report was, like... <laughs> <laughs> it was much more temperate this year. Like, it, it wasn't that hot. I remember last year I had to... Had to shoot a show and like it took oh, everything. Television zone. It, Zach Diller had to shoot a show. Dude. Well, no, listen, because it gets wor- it gets worse from here because <laughs> like it took like everything in our like producers' power to like make it look like I didn't just get out of the pool um, <laughs> from sweat. So um, this year was a lot uh, more relaxed and more chill, um, and uh, I appreciated that because I don't want to be out there in ninety five degree uh, swampy heat down there in Florida. So, uh, no, it was a, everything about the experience was, uh, was good this year. It was a, it was a very relaxed spring training. Everything's kind of, uh, running according to plan. And, um, I don't know if that has anything to do with being the defending champs and having a sense of confidence, a sense of, uh, a little bit more laid back and comfortable with who they are and, you know, what they can be. I I don't know if there's any correlation there, but. Um, it, it just seemed like a more relaxed camp for for whatever reason that you want to throw out there by playing like armchair psychologist, but it was a it was a good time. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask you a little bit about that. It's just a, it's a situation where this is this is sort of a new thing for this group. Obviously, last year they made the big leap, I guess a year ahead of schedule, at least according to most people, and now they're sort of expected to be good, obviously, and sort of maybe not expected to repeat. You know, we can get into some of the uh, threats later on. I wanted to ask you about the analyst at the very end of this podcast, but I mean, is it? It sounds like it sounds like it definitely is a different vibe, but. I'm hearing a lot of stuff and reading a lot of stuff about how confident they are, and it's easy to see why they would be. I mean, most of the team from last year is back, and if you are someone on a baseball team that just won the division, you probably expect to win the division again. Is that kind of just the vibe around there, just confidence and looking to do what they did last year? Yeah, good luck finding a baseball team that enters spring training not optimistic. You know what <laughs> I mean? spring's eternal, like, Zach. No, yeah, yeah, nobody like has a spring and is just like, yeah, we're going to see how it works out, but I don't like our chances. Like you just you don't hear those types of sound bites, but I I I do think that so much of what happened last year fuels their confidence this year in the sense of you're hearing kind of the same quotes, but now it's kind of a well, well, you know, prognosticators were wrong last year or the projections were wrong last year. We proved everyone wrong last year. It's almost like they have this like it's like an underdog type of vibe, but they're using it from the from the top of the hill as the defending champs. It's a it's a weird combination, but uh, you heard from like Brian Snitker, you heard from uh, various players that you know. Well, they got the they got the projections wrong last year, so we're not worried about them. And I understand that. I mean, I get it. If you prove doubters wrong once, you feel like you can prove them wrong again, but. I definitely get the sense that every player knows that it's like they're not they're not the Dodgers of the NL East right now. They're not they're not the Indians of of the NL East or any by any means. Like this is going to be an absolute dogfight in this division. I think they know that there are three other teams in the NL East that by no means rolled over this offseason. All three of them improved and they're using that almost as like well, you guys doubted us last year and you were wrong. At the same time, they fully understand that like this is not going to be just, you know, we're here to stay and we have, you know, 
just like in past years with this with this franchise, I don't think there's any like uh, like belief that it's going to be 14 straight division titles and they're going to cruise to it again uh, from here on out. It it I, I got the sense from players that they know that the NL East is going to be tough. Yeah, I mean, it's a very important distinction because. Clearly, if you're a professional athlete, you're going to be confident and think you're going to be good. And especially when you were good a year ago and it's essentially the same team, which I guess it being the same team is sort of a point of interest as well, um, with, that they didn't do all that much over the offseason. They did add Josh Donaldson, obviously, who I was going to ask you about in a second. But yeah, it's just an important thing to keep in mind that they probably think they're going to be good, as they should, And but it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. And I think at least having that perspective is very important for a team that's going to have to go through this massive grind because baseball, if, as I think people know, but just as a reminder, once again, is a mo- it's kind of a monster grind from the time they report until the time the season ends is what seven and a half months um, of just and that's if you don't and that's if you, if you don't make the playoffs, it's more like eight and a half nine if you go all the way if you go all the way to the end. That's a long time to be doing something every single day with the same guys and just being there and doing stuff. And I think it's one of the reasons, and I know that. A lot of things happen in the Middle East. I'm not even. I'm, I'm on record as saying I don't think they're the favorite, at least on paper. But I will say that is one thing that favors the Braves probably more than any other team in this division is, and maybe any other team like one of the most, one of the best teams in in the National League in this sense of having that depth to be able to withstand injury and get over that grind, and get over that 162 games because. While the other, all these other teams in the NL East, I think they improved. I think there are some great deals that they made. At the same time, they aren't nearly as deep in their upper minors that if they go through an injury, if a, if a key guy gets injured, they could be really, especially on the pitching end where the Braves can withstand injuries. But, you know, if, if you know, the Mets are the Mets, and if, if Jacob DeGrom goes down, I like I like Wheeler and Syndergaard and Mats, but I don't think they have that guy that can step into the uh, you know next man up and very much so with the Braves, uh, probably less so on the position side, but definitely pitching wise, uh, whether it's starters or bullpen, they have so much ridiculous depth, and that's already guys that are just at the majors. That's not including Ian Anderson, Kyle Muller, Joey Wentz that could be making their way up. They have so many bullpen arms. So many starters that when you think of that grind, they are perhaps best suited, especially on the pitching side, to withstand that grind over the course of 162 games. And that makes sense. I wanted to ask you about the rotation. Let's just go there now. You know, Mike Soroka's shoulder is in the news. It doesn't seem like it might not, it may not be as bad as it may have been feared, I guess, a few days ago. But he was someone who I think most people thought was going to be in the rotation if he was healthy. Um, and you mentioned the depth. That's definitely something that is important and valuable to have when, with all the young arms. But have you been in the camp of the fact that the Braves might need a high rotation starter? That's been something that they were rumored to be interested in over the winter, and they haven't made that move it doesn't mean they couldn't make that move still because it's as I think people realize, but there's there's some guys out there that are unsigned. There's certainly there's some moves that could happen in the next month, but for now they didn't make the big splash in the rotation. Does that worry you at all if you are someone you know looking ahead to this brave season that they, that they don't have another big time arm? Obviously, Fulty was great last year and Gosman was really good after he came over as well. But do they need that you know additional veteran you know stalwart kind of guy at the top, or is it a situation where the depth and, and the young arms can kind of carry them through here? I think much like with the Gosman deal last year, they will need that guy at some point. I don't necessarily think that it has to be, you know, you need that guy on opening day. 
But certainly by the trade deadline, if they are in contention, if they are, you know, kind of where they were last year, I think that a move will absolutely be on the table to go out and get a guy. You know, I mean, the guy that we're talking about as of right now would be like someone like Dallas Keuchel. Um, and then you look at last year, they got Anibal Sanchez on March 16th, I believe. And he ends up starting game two of the NLDS. I don't necessarily <laughs> yeah, he was think, great, by the way. All, all your long. I don't necessarily he was fantastic, probably their second best pitcher last year. Um, and now he's on your division rival. I, I don't necessarily fault them for not, you know, doubling down and trying to get two more years of great Anibal Sanchez. I, I don't think that was the wrong decision to uh, not try and go that route. At the same time, I, I think they are at least a little smart to see what they have. And I know that Soroka's shoulder, yes, it's a red flag. Apparently it has nothing to do with what happened last year. We're going to have to, you know, at least monitor that. But you already have Tuki Toussaint and Max Freed that I really thought one of the two, I, w- I was favoring Freed, uh, just being a little bit older, second lefty in the rotation, uh, over Toussaint just heading into opening day, I was probably higher on Freed than most. And hearing Freddie Freeman's comments saying that uh, he thinks of Max Freed at the top of the pitching prospect pile was really yeah, kind of high. Uh, that was a jarring was, statement from Freeman, I thought, which was it, it's not, not a bad thing at all. But I was like, wow, really? That's uh, interesting. I mean, I it, it's funny. I mean, I wrote the story two years ago about Max Freed potentially being a breakout candidate after he was entering his first big league camp, uh, I can remember he like he just cruised through the middle of that Tigers lineup. Uh, J.D. Martinez, Miguel Cabrera, and Justin Upton, who, strangely, strangely enough, he was traded for. Um, and he was just the talk of camp. And that was two years ago. And if Max Free can stay healthy, um, he's that good. I mean, in, in nine starts in his career, he's got a sub-three ERA, striking out over a batter per nine. Like Max Fried is legit. He's an absolute stud left-handed pitcher. He just needs to avoid a the blisters. He needs to avoid just the weird injuries that have kept him from really reaching that potential. But I don't necessarily think it has to be an opening day move. Um, I don't. I don't think that this is the opening day roster yet. I've said that a couple times. I think they have at least a move left in them. Even if it's a guy that ends up missing a cut on another roster, I know Adam Duvall has been a guy that I've just not sold that they are sold on um, in terms of that fourth bench option. So they there's plenty of moves to be made, but in terms of that big splash, I think it at least makes some sense if you're not going to go out and make you know the big upgrades that there were certainly out there at other positions uh, this offseason, be it catcher or at right field. Um, it, it does. It makes some sense to carry this stash of prospects, one of the deepest farm systems in all of baseball, get into the season, see where you're good, see where you need help, and go out and get that help midseason. I, I, I don't think it has to necessarily be uh, whatever opening day is, March 28th or whatever. I don't think that guy has to be on the roster then, but I do think if they are going to go deeper in the playoffs, be a World Series contender – that that guy or multiple guys will have to be on the roster uh, by the midseason mark. Yeah, that, that makes complete sense. And if Fulte can 
repeat what he did last year. It makes things a lot easier, obviously. And then especially if Gosman is also the guy he was in Atlanta and not the guy he was previously. There's a couple of ifs, but not crazy uh, things to consider. And Newcomb's a highly volatile guy. He's been really good and really questionable at different times. And yeah, it's an interesting rotation. They have a lot of arms, but not all of them are super proven. So I'm kind of with you. I think at some point, someone who's not currently in the organization will, will be making some starts <laughs> this year. I'm not sure that, who that person's going to be, but um, yeah, we're, it's getting. I mean, it's getting late, but it's also not like I, even you mentioned the Anibal's timeline last year. I feel like the Braves have been pretty consistent in like always, almost always bringing in someone. It doesn't. It doesn't always work. But there, you know, there's no, always somebody that you recognize in March or April that just kind of lands, and if if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But they, they always like to take a shot on a couple of guys. It feels, it feels like, and I think that's going to happen even more. At least those options are going to be there even more so this year with the incredibly uh, player unfriendly labor market at the moment. So many guys are going to sign late, and that means there are going to be so many late cuts uh, to spring rosters that. The, there are going to be players out there everywhere. Like set Anibal Sanchez aside, keep in mind before he even he wasn't even on the opening day roster because they had that weird they could just carry four starters for a little while. But you know who was on the opening day about that. Right, remember that? But you know who was on the opening day roster was Ryan Flaherty and Peter Borges. So they went out they went out and got those two guys uh in camp. I think there are going to be even better players this year uh that won't be making rosters that will be out kind of uh, kind of out there in the wind that you can go make a move if you know especially just like a bench option which is what Flaherty and Borges were for them last year for a little bit um, I, I just I'm not sold that they're sold on Adam Duvall and another slow start for him uh, to spring training I know he worked really hard this offseason but I, I just I can't get around the fact that he's just really struggled with being in this relief type role Um and he he just doesn't seem comfortable in this uh, in this bench role, and uh, we're gonna see what happens. But as of right now, especially with Johan Camargo, if he really takes the outfield, I I kind of would like to see Camargo in the lineup every single day against the lefty, and that's where Adam Duvall kind of that that served his purpose last year or at least was supposed to yeah, so that, that was the outline purpose was that, to bring him in and platoon with ender essentially which didn't and, honestly and on long, but. and on paper it made sense but it absolutely did not work out and it really underscores just the human element of the game is that you know a guy can be a starter at one place and you know absolutely rake against lefties but you put him on the bench it doesn't just um, automatically it doesn't mean that he's just going to rake against them, you know, no matter what. So it kind of underscores the human element of it. I know Mark Bowman wrote about it uh, a little bit today that, you know, if they walk away, I think it's by March 16th, they save a ton of money. They don't have, cause they have them on a non-guaranteed contract. Um, I, it, that would not surprise me whatsoever, but uh, everything else on the pitching side, um, they can certainly make a move. There's certainly guys out there. Uh, Brian McCann, Fre- Freddie Freeman, everybody was like, I love Craig Krimbrell. Uh, there was the whole golfing incident while we were down there, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, outside of a deal really falling into Alex Anthopoulos's lap, uh, I just have a hard time believing that they're going to go above and beyond and, uh, give out some long-term deal for almost anybody that's still out there on the market. Um, I think they're just playing the waiting game as, uh, many teams are, I would argue far too many teams are um and just waiting for better deals to fall into their laps 
Yeah, it does feel like it's just it's still slow, and obviously the Machado domino fell, but Bryce is at, at the time of this recording, Bryce Harper is still available, and maybe not for long, but yeah, it's just kind of a weird market. It has been all winter, and it's not really changing. Um, I guess I was going to ask you kind of what you thought about adding someone before open day. That, that's something that we've kind of just covered. So, I mean, let's go to the hitting side a little bit. You know, Dansby Swanson and Josh Donaldson are scheduled now, I think, to debut on Friday. Dansby, uh, there was some obviously some buzz out there that he was going to be sort of delayed, and he has been a little bit, but Friday's a little bit earlier than I was expecting him actually to be seen. Did you hear much about Dansby's health and availability stuff when you were down there, and what do you expect from him this year? Because obviously he's kind of an enigma right now at the plate. Yeah, we barely talked to Dansby. We were in spring, but we talked to him for a long time uh, at ChopFest. He sat in the room just kind of describing uh, that extremely cold day in Chicago when the wrist started acting up. And it just never really got right uh, from there on out. And uh, it was disappointing because, you know, I've written about this before and maybe I jumped the shark on it. But I'm still a believer that Dansby Swanson can be a league average or even plus hitter. I don't think that the number one overall pick um, top 10 consensus prospect, I, I think that those expectations are gone. But Given the fact that he, it, you know what the floor is now for him, or at least you think you do, with uh, a plus-plus defender at a premium position, that gives him a pretty high floor. He can't hit 20 25% below league average uh, year after year. He certainly can't hit like he did in 2017, but he made strides last year. And if he's close to the player that, if you think back to the end of 2017, when they first called him up, or they called him back, and they paired him with Ozzy Albies, and you look at that timeline all the way until he got hurt uh, on that day in Chicago, he was hitting about 5% above league average. That's not a crazy sample size, but I think it's like 300 or so plate appearances with him and Ozzy in the middle infield, and he's healthy. It's about 5% above league average. If he is that player, that is this extreme bonus for this team, because you know, he's not going to be hitting at the top of the lineup. He's probably going to be hitting seven or eight. And if they're getting that type of production from a guy that's giving you gold glove caliber defense at shortstop and hitting like that, that would be such a huge bonus because at the moment, and again, I, I think the world of Ozzy Albies, um, I, I still see promise in Dansby. Um, there's a couple, you know, there's a couple things that can absolutely break right for this team. But at the moment, I only feel just like 100% positive that if they're healthy, Acuna, Donaldson, and Freeman are going to rake. And four through eight is a lot of promise, but also a lot of question marks. So if Dansby is healthy, and if that's what healthy Dansby looks like in 2019, um, definitely a huge boost for Brian Snitker's club. Yeah, if, if he's a league average hitter, isn't he like a three and a half or four win player? Like that's yes, a, that's a yes. really good baseball player. <laughs> I mean, it's the same. Way, I mean, it's the same with you know Ender and Ciarte. I mean, Ender, yep. it, his his floor is so high because he is by far and away pretty much the benchmark in baseball right now for a defensive center fielder. Uh, Sixty three outs above average per stat cast over the last three years. That's the most of any outfielder, and if he is that guy. His floor is around that two to three win mark as long as he's around league average. So it's, it's, you know, they're plus players. It's not, you know, don't get me wrong. And we can, you know, we've certainly talked lineup plenty of times over the years, but um, <laughs> that 
you know, that that's a very good player to have on your team, whether it's Dansby or Ender, when you're that good defensively at a premium position. Then it comes into if if, if they can hit, you know, better than you've seen from them. And certainly I think Dansby, uh, there's so much of that ceiling that's so uh, that he hasn't even tapped into yet. Um, it, it provides optimism. And it's probably one of the reasons you get to camp and everybody's like, yeah, we're awesome and, you know, you know, hope springs eternal, like you said, is because there is, there's always that what if. What if Ozzy always is first half Ozzy? What if Dansby taps into his potential? What if Ender gets back to, you know, around, you know, where he was in 2017, maybe a 350 OBP type of mark? Yeah, all of a sudden this offense looks, looks a lot more dangerous. But there's a lot of what ifs, and I think Dansby's one of the biggest ones, and um, I'm I'm guardedly optimistic that um, he can still be something like that player of a, a little above league average hitter and a good defender. I think I'm closer to where you are too. Just I think there's optimism that he can be a league average hitter, and that's kind of all he needs to be. Um, I mean, sort of touching on what you said a little bit, but about the top three guys being obviously awesome when they're healthy, and, and Freeman, Acuna, and Donaldson. This offense is an interesting talking point on the whole because of the uncertainty. You know, we saw what Ozzy's capable of early last year when he was just raking beyond measure and then he cooled off. Uh, Ender had some hot months and some low months. Dan's been the same thing. Um, you know, you have all these, I mean, even Camargo, who was great last year, but now is in this different role in a lot of ways. So if I ask you about this offense, I know it's sort of an inexact thing, but. What is this offense? That's something that I've been pu- pushing back on a lot because, you know, one of the things with you know, fans want to know why they why they didn't spend money and all this fun stuff. They did spend money on Donaldson, which has to be said over and over again because he's really really good at baseball. But, you know, in the baseline average production of this offense, what is it like? What is it when you factor in Marquecas most of the time now back in right field, et cetera, et cetera? Like, is this going to be a top five offense in the National League? Is it worse than that? Like, what do you kind of see from this offense on a baseline level? And then obviously, if things go right, it's going to be better than that. I do need to say something before we get any farther, because it came up so many times from fans throughout this uh, throughout this offseason. But every time I felt like my eyes were vindicated by comments from Alex Anthopoulos. Uh, Freddie Freeman uh, talked about this at length. The offense was the issue for this team last year. Yep. <laughs> I, I know that I know that walks were a huge headache for everyone involved, including people covering the game because it makes the game so much longer. But the offense was the problem. Ronald Acuna Jr., if he is not, you know, this out like shooting star, just meteoric type of player for them in the second half, they might not make the playoffs. Freddie Freeman was just like Acuna was the only player that was hitting in the second half. Ender got hot. Don't get me wrong. And he started hitting lefties and that was a big bonus for them. But Freddie Freeman's power went away. Nick Markakis wore down. Ozzy Albies wore down. The offense was the problem. Now, you throw Josh Donaldson into the mix, and I think it's it's in the best case scenario for them. It's kind of a, a two pronged bonus. Not only do you get, do you get if he's healthy one of the better hitters in baseball, but also you have this kind of wild card to prevent that same you know wearing down that same fatigue in Johan Camargo, who was one of their better hitters last year, and. 
I think best case scenario for them, they kind of are able to balance that out. And maybe you don't get the highs of the first half that you got from Nick and Ozzy, but you're trying to avoid those lows as well. And I, I, I think that that can be the case. You know, I, I definitely see where they're coming from there because if Camargo hits like he did last year, um, he can really fix a lot of issues for them um, because he's so great against left-handers that maybe you're giving, you know, if he can take to the outfield, we'll see what happens in spring. But if he, if he can give some outfield time uh, off or maybe even Ender against lefties, maybe uh, some time off for Dansby against lefties because he has kind of some weird reverse splits, um, Nick, Nick Markakis, um, Johan Camargo in many ways you could say is the most important player in this offense um, because of it so much hinges on him being able to be the player that they think they that they're trying to make him into if that makes any sense like we know he can be a very good third baseman but we we're not really sure if he can you know on every, any given day play any given position and uh and excel but uh at top 5 national league offense i i kind of struggle with that especially you know we're going to we're as you said we're still kind of waiting on the Bryce Harper news but you know there's some you know if he ends up in Philadelphia I is this a top is this a top two offense in the National League East? I'm not sure. I mean, I I really think the Nationals are much deeper offensively. They've addressed a lot of their issues, um, and, and it's so weird to say, but the Nationals could lose Bryce Harper and still be deeper because of how much you know really good how much how many great outfielders they have. But if Bryce Harper goes to Philadelphia, that's probably one two just in the NL East alone, and the Mets got a lot better on offense as well. So it, I, I'm not I'm not sold that it's this top five um, offense. I'm sold that the team believes that they can be better than they were last year. But I'm tr- what I've tried to lead off with this answer is that's not a crazy high bar to reach, and they didn't address their two vacancies with clear upgrades. I think that Brian McCann can absolutely help a pitching staff. I think that Nick Markakis with some rest. You're going to get your, you know, consistent bat to ball type guy, but those were two areas that they really could have made upgrades, uh, some big upgrades with some of the players that moved around and players that were available, and they didn't. And I know why they didn't because you know it, they they definitely got deals, you know, the their bargain contracts, but this offense still has question marks, and I'm not necessarily sure that it's definitely this top five offense just because they had Josh Donaldson who was fantastic when held right I mean there's a scenario in which they have three of the 10 best hitters in the National League on the same team and that really you, you, provides you some... misspoke you misspoke it's baseball what did I say no I'm just kidding no it, <laughs> there's a there's a chance no, no no I mean this is pie in the sky absolutely but you know, you know what I mean know. like there, there's no, no, a no, chance of that three of the best in baseball I mean and maybe not top 10 but three of the you know Three of the best 15, three of the best 20. I mean, would it? That's really, I mean, think about it. I mean, I, I think fans probably know this, but just it's worth saying Freeman is clearly, when right, an MVP candidate. Josh Donaldson has won the MVP in yes. his life. And Ronald Acuna, we all know what, 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 what that guy's capable of. We saw it in the second half of last year. He was an MVP kind of player. So if you want to see the rosy part and have all those three, if all those three guys stay healthy and do what they're capable of doing, you're already going to be pretty good on offense with three guys. But 
you know, four to eight, as you sort of, as you sort of said at the beginning of this, four to eight is where you get into some uncertainty. And I think it's unlikely that, you know, all five of those spots suffer. Like someone's probably going to have a good year, whether it be Ozzy or elsewhere. I think Ozzy's probably the most likely, but somebody's going to have a good year out of that bunch. But if you have a couple guys who don't have a great year and regress a little bit, like if your catchers regress, like Tyler Flowers has been great. But if your catcher spot regresses some, that's going to hurt you a little bit. Marcakis was great last year. If he's the guy he was two years ago, that's not a, an impressive option necessarily. And then, you know, you have some you have some interesting stuff because Camargo can't play every day. I mean, that's one thing I wanted to ask you about the offense. And it's, we can sort of let, let that go a little bit. They want to play Camargo a lot. Where do you think, like right now, I'm putting you in a bad spot, I know, end of February, where, where do most of his at-bats come from? Are they coming in... You know, it obviously comes down to whether he can play the outfield, but right. assume that he can play the outfield functionally. Is that where you think he's going to play the most time? Is it going to be shortstop? Where, where's it going? Or is it going to be you know playing everywhere kind of equally? Do you see him sort of in this equal role, or is there one spot or two that you see him playing in more than others? So we so we kind of went through this uh, a little bit when we were down there, and they were talking a, a little bit about Nick Markakis or or Josh Donaldson. Josh Donaldson was like, you know, I, I perfect scenario. I want to play 162 games, but he but he said I know that's not going to happen. So he basically lowered it and he said like a good season for me, something that I'm shooting for is around 150, 155 games. So just take like that 150 game mark, right? So that's 12 games at third base that Camargo is going to be at third. Like that that's going to happen. They also have 10 games of the DH. So right there, you have 22 games. Uh, Johan Camargo can play third base 22 games. But I, I started thinking about, well, what if 150 is kind of this, this benchmark of rest? And it could be even, even fewer games for guys. But if you think of that 150 mark as like a benchmark for rest for Dansby Swanson, Ozzie Albies, Ender Inciarte, Nick Barcakis, uh, certainly Freddie Freeman is not sitting 12 games. But, and you probably don't want Ronald Acuna sitting out that much either. But if you yeah, think by, of the, by the way, can you imagine trying to get Freddie Freeman to sit even five times, much less twelve times? That would be the world. He doesn't want to sit once. No. But just take just take those five positions: third base, second base, shortstop, center field, right field. If each of those if each of those ga- uh, players takes twelve games off, and you have the DH, that right there is seventy games. And injuries are going to happen. Like you know, that's going to come up. Um, and I think you can play, especially with. Guys like Dansby, guys like Ender, you can play if he's capable of playing, you know, left field and moving Acuna to center. Uh, you can play uh, Camargo against lefties and maybe sit Ender for the day or sit Dansby for the day because he's just been so great against left-handers. Um, you don't want to sit Ozzy against lefties, but maybe Camargo gives him some off days against righties. But that right there, I think, is probably the floor for Camargo is just like an easy way to find him 70 games without injuries, without performance uh, coming into the mix. Uh, and, that without, means, and that means 70 starts too. Like obviously yes, he'd, he'd, yes, he'd yes. be the biggest pinch hitting option, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And he, and I, I am not putting it past them whatsoever to buy Josh Donaldson, not only starts, but um, to buy him some late defensive innings. Uh, I think Camargo can absolutely, you know, if the Braves are up three or four runs, uh, they can go and bring Camargo in in the seventh inning or eighth inning, and even if the uh, even if the team comes back, it's not like yes, you bench Josh Donaldson, but Camargo can hit. It's not like he's this defense only type of guy that you've completely crippled your lineup. So 
I think they're going to try, and they should, they should try and protect Donaldson both from himself um, as well as you want him right at the end of the season. And we just talked about the offense and how it wore down. I think that's going to be a real challenge is you want to be as great as possible. And with this, with this division being uh, so much better, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be that fight from very early on. So you want to be playing at the top of your game pretty much uh, as soon as you depart from Orlando, as soon as you leave camp, head North, but you also want to be right at the end of the season. So I'm curious at how they're going to do that. How are they are going to um, keep guys fresh, how they are going to, you know, play those matchups because Brian Snicker has said that he felt he knew that guys were wearing down, but he felt that that was the only way that they were able to get over that hump because they didn't have that depth last year. I'm curious. It's going to be interesting to watch how he manages that, how he monitors that. Um, and when he decides to pull those strings, because it's, you know, early division games, you probably don't want to be doing that, but it's you you need you need everybody clicking on all cylinders for 162. So I think with Camargo, um, if he's able to take the outfield, and I talked to Inter and Ciarte this offseason about it, he really believes that Camargo has all the ability to do so. Um, we've seen him in left, I think, for like an inning in a major league game before. But uh, from all the reports that I heard when I was down there, they think that he can, and if he can, um, it, it really is going to. Uh, give them a just one of probably the best bench bench piece in the in the division. Yeah, if if, if that's the role that he's in all season long, and obviously we mentioned injuries a couple of different times, and if something happens to any number of four or five guys, he probably becomes the full time everyday player, which is that's something to be said. And I mean, there's also a scenario I, you'd imagine where. Especially, I'm, I'm thinking out loud about shortstop and right field, where if Dansby struggles, you might see Camargo get some more regular at-bats. And right Correct. field, if, if Marquecas levels off and he proves he can play in the outfield, maybe you see that too. Um, the other spots, I can't really see it necessarily, um, barring injury. But, you know, it's just worth pointing out that there's at least a, a chance that Camargo just, just overtakes someone along the way and ends up playing somewhere more regularly. So, I mean, I would, I'm not worried. I, I've, I've always kind of thought he was better in this role. Granted, he was much better last season than I ever thought he was going to be at the plate. So I was wrong about Camargo, to be sure. I think this is still a great role for him, though, if, if, if especially if he can play the outfield. But even if he can't play the outfield all that well, the fact that he can play third, short, and second very effectively and help out all those guys um, goes a long way. So, Yeah, I mean, I think, he, I think he overtook everybody's expectations. The one thing that makes him so intriguing in this role in particular is his splits almost completely balanced out last year. Yeah. So it wasn't like these – it's not like when you look at Ozzy last year where he really struggled against right-handers. Uh, Camargo was very a very balanced hitter last year. And, you know, it really goes back. I, I think back to last spring training, Chipper Jones saying that he's the most improved player in the system since he joined the front office. Um, and he's just one of those guys that, you know, maybe there's still more in the tank in terms of improvement. So I, I, I hear you. If if guys struggle and stuff, that's that's not outside the realm of possibility that Camargo is just like, we got to get this guy in the lineup every day if he's going to be this guy uh, day in and day out. That is definitely a, a possibility. All right, I'm going to let you go here very shortly, but I have to get your uh, 
very way too early, late February, takes on the NL East. And we sort of mentioned it a little bit here, but the NL East is weird um, in that it's going to be pretty competitive. Bryce Harper could swing some things, but you said earlier, you kind of snuck it in, that you don't think the Braves are necessarily the favorite. I'm kind of with you on that, but if uh, if you had to sort of project things, I think we all know the Marlins are going to be fifth. But other than that, there's a lot of uh, shakeup potential in the NL East, so what should people be expecting and looking for, even if, we're all, if, we, even if we should all be, be prepared to be very wrong about it? I have no idea. <laughs> Same. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really this is, don't. This is why I, you're paid to give takes, though, Zach. You have, you have to come yeah, up with an opinion at I know, some point. I know. This, this, I need this, to This would be a trial run for you. I know. I need to scream into my Skype that the Braves are, you know, the Braves would be lucky to finish above the Marlins. Uh, no, I, I don't have a hot take. Um, it, if any of these, like, I guess the thing that's infuriating is if any of these four teams finish in any order in the division, I will not walk away from this season stunned. And that's infuriating because you want to have like this, this take and last year it was, you know, underselling the Braves. I think I picked them second. Uh, I know I didn't pick them to win the division. I thought they arrived. No at, did, I, by the way, not, I, not I thought they personally. arrived. A year, I thought they <laughs> arrived a year ahead of schedule. And it, it, I think that's the infuriating thing about the NL East is because, like, yes, the Braves are the top dogs in the division, and I do think they got better. I think Freddie Freeman and company are correct when they say, you know, we we have the same team and we added Josh Donaldson. Um, I don't think they took as nearly as big of strides forward as some of these other teams in terms of established players um, and in terms of teams that really addressed some pressing needs for them. I mean, I know the big guys get a lot of play, whether it's uh, we'll see what happens with the Harper, but with Patrick Corbin going in the Nationals or Robinson Cano. But, I mean, the Mets, their bullpen last year was a, was a mess, and they go bring back Familia and get Diaz. Uh, the Nationals, you could argue, have had the worst catching situation in baseball uh, when they had Weeders. Um, and they go out and they get Jan Gomes and they take Kurt Suzuki from the Braves. Um, some some of like the under-the-radar moves from some of these teams um, have really addressed clear needs that they had in past years. So I, 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 I just – I hate this. I, I don't like it. I don't like having like this like really weird – um, this really weird jumble. I would say at the moment, uh, not knowing the Harper situation, I think the Nationals have a really good situation. Um, I don't think they're nearly as deep uh, pitching wise. I think they're a pitching rotation that is clearly like meant for playoff baseball. Um, if you got into a, a series and they have a healthy Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, you're in trouble. Like you absolutely are in trouble. Um, you know, they, they, I think they have a very deep lineup and if I'm not saying that Soto and Acuna need to be the same guys that they were last year because they were unbelievable. But if, you know, Soto, uh, Trey Turner, Anthony Rendon, uh, they just have, they have a lot of pieces and you add in those catchers now, uh, especially with Gomes. Uh, I, I think the nationals, I think by a hair and I hate saying that and people are going to be like, They've never won anything, and I, I totally understand that. But uh, I, I think the Nationals, before we hear the Harper news, uh, if Harper goes to Philly, I, I could change my mind there. But um, it, it's a it's – a, I'm just rambling now. I, I don't have an answer for you. I think we're in the same boat. I mean, all the systems – 
and I know fans don't really care about this. Some fans don't care about these. I understand that, but they they're usually you know they're they're based in stats and things that do matter. Um, but I'm, I'm looking at Pakoda right now, which is at Baseball Prospectus, and they have all four teams within four wins of each other. And that's kind of how I feel about this. Like nothing yes. would surprise me. You know, Washington is usually the team you see at the top of these projections, and I kind of agree with that in the same way that I think you kind of do, or at least you're leaning that way. But no order would surprise me. The Braves repeating certainly would not surprise me because of what we've said this entire podcast and the fact that they have some money to play with if they want to go out and make a move midseason or even before the season. But right. um, that that's that's where I always come back to, and I know I led off this podcast with that. Full but circle. The Braves. It, it it feels like they have more unknowns and they perhaps have more uh, volatility in these types of projections because sometimes you, you dive into just the player projections themselves and like Acuna uh, is like vastly under, you know, underrated oh, yeah. in my opinion Big for time. some of these things. Or, you know, they're projecting like a 0.1 war from like a Tukey or a, uh, or a Kyle Wright. And like it wouldn't surprise me if any of those guys are pushed into action and they do really well. And I, I think that the Braves, especially with the Phillies moving Sixto Sanchez, the Braves clearly have the best farm system in this division. It's not even close. And part of that is they have a ton of guys in the high minors that can either help the major league roster or if they get into a race and they have to make a move, I am most confident that the Braves have the ammunition to – go out and add a big time piece if they need it during the season. And I think, you know, I clearly these other teams have other have players and I, and I'm fully aware that, you know, the Braves aren't the only team that have prospects. Um, but they have by far and away the most quality ones. And if, if Alex Anthopoulos gets into a seat into the season and sees that they need something, I I'm, I'm echoing Freddie Freeman here and saying, I think he will be willing to pull the trigger kind of like he did with Kevin Gossman, but I think they could even shoot higher uh, this year if they finally want to, you know, they haven't moved a single top prospect yet. And I think they can do that mid season. It kind of adds that extra wrinkle to any projections with Atlanta. Cause you're just projecting the current roster, but Atlanta has the, the, the ability more so than any other team in this division to go out and add that huge piece. Isn't it kind of crazy that they haven't traded any of the top guys the entire it's, time? <laughs> it's nuts. It true. I mean, it is crazy that they have still held on to guys. And look, they've held on to guys for too long. Like we've already seen guys come and go. And uh, at one point, they were you know top rated prospects, and they just don't pan out. You know, Matt Whistler, Aaron Blair. You can go down the list. Lucas Sims. Um, there's this weird thing in baseball that. When a guy like the moment that he reaches the majors, like that luster wears off. Um, I'm thinking of a guy like Colby Allard, who clearly needs to improve and make some adjustments. But I mean, the dude was like 20 years old, 21 years old, uh, one of the youngest pitchers in baseball. He gets like a couple innings under his belt, and now he's just like trash. Yeah, it um, been, he would have been better off just never making it to the majors. Yes, last season. <laughs> that's that's incredibly that's incredibly weird. It's this weird thing about baseball that. Um, you know, in some ways, like the faster a guy makes it in the league, but he gets exposed a little bit, he doesn't get like the benefit of the doubt of like, oh, well, go work on the things that you were exposed, uh, <laughs> where you were exposed and get better. No, it's like this prospect is done. Next prospect. Um, but it, I, I'm still shocked. Like I, I think Brett Cumberland 
might be like the highest rated prospect that they've ended up moving. Um, I thought that this offseason, if they didn't want to spend money, I really thought that they could go out. And I know Real Muto was, you know, out there and certainly uh, stole plenty of headlines. But I really thought they could go grab an outfielder too um, if they wanted to move one. But they they held on to all their their trade chips and in a tight division race. I'm not I'm not saying it's outlandish to think that that could be the uh, underrated thing that kind of pushes them over the top. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm with you 100% on that actually. But yeah, I think we're on the same page. A lot of uh interesting times ahead and things could change in the next month if somebody makes a move. So, um, if that happens, I might call you back. But uh, in the meantime, I've kept you for too long and it's in a surprising twist you and I've gotten going and talked for more more time than we were supposed to talk, Zach. Um please plug yourself because you have you have a lot going on. You and Corey and the crew over there have things happening. So, please plug yourself and you only tweet like once a week, but it's usually good when you do. So, there you go. Yeah, that that's yeah. Never tweet. It's just it, you don't, it and, you're, and you really don't. But you make a count when you do. Honestly, I, that, that that's that, that's actually a testimonial for me. Like pretty much every tweet you send has some impact. Whereas I'm just spraying and talking about nothing most of the time. I think I, I think I like your strategy better. I just can't hold myself to it. Yeah, I like KL roasting you on the quote tweets this week. That was great. Um, man, yes. <laughs> Um, no, I don't really, I mean, really nothing much to plug. Um, we just have a bunch of stuff coming out. I would just encourage people to follow at Fox sports Braves. It's where we send out every piece of video podcast, written content, um, for all of your brave stuff, uh, head over there, um, and follow along because it'll be, uh, I, I'm actually just really looking forward to this season and, uh, in terms of what every game is going to mean. If that makes any sense, it feels like in past years you kind of get in the dog days and it it, it kind of lulls by at times. That's uh, probably the byproduct of 162 games. But uh, this this year is going to feel uh, I don't want to say like playoff games in April, but it, it's it's going to be a lot different. So I would encourage people to follow along, and uh, we'll try our best to push out as much great content as we can. Absolutely a must follow and occasionally you'll catch Zach on a television screen somewhere and that's always fun too because uh, at least for me when I'm, I can take some screenshots and make fun of you. Not for me. It is for you. It's not for me. Yeah, it's more fun for me. Um, but anyway, thank you, sir. I appreciate you joining me. We'll have to do it again uh, sometime in the future. I try not to bug you too much, but we'll do it again. Absolutely. As for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast and we will see you later on in the week.